Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Times Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Now, I personally have never been shocked by an outlet or a computer panel before, but I feel that when it happens to me, I will also rear back my lips and bare my teeth. (laughs) Flip backwards like a fish into all the panels and chairs behind you. It was a good flop. You know, Michael Doran did not skimp on the reactionary work. I felt it. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, really made a cliffhanger. I was telling Xander that I think he wanted to show off the prosthetic teeth more than anything, right? And I would, too, if I had to sit in a makeup chair all day and didn't get to show him. I had to call Bonnie in as I was watching it through this watch through because I forgot how funny it was in just that moment. Yeah, I watched that part twice. (laughs) I didn't know he had prosthetic teeth in until then. Oh, yeah, the Klingons do not have great dental plans. Or they have better. Yeah, but now you see where he instigated that trend that all Klingons must now bare their teeth whenever they have a strong emotion. Well, that's right. It's the episode The Lonely Among Us. Actually, it's just called Lonely Among Us, uh, where while transporting delegates, an alien life form wreaks havoc on the Enterprise computer and begins to take over the minds of her crew. This was a fun one. I liked this one. Yeah, and it seems like the delegates themselves are going to be the plot at the beginning. The Antikins versus the Sales, <laughs> both going to uh, decide, you know, whether or not they're going to join the Federation and how they're, these two planets within the same system are going to deal with their petty squabbles between them. And it was um, almost an A-B plot starting to develop. And then they just say, oh, yeah, never mind. We don't even care about what happened to them. Uh, you figure it out, Riker. We'll remember to check in on them every once in a while, like the pets that they are. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just going to continue on this better plot. I think this was an example of a writing technique of focusing on a small event while a larger event is going on. And this was to show that when the Enterprise has guests, they still have to conduct their duties. They still have to act like everything is fine for the safety of the crew that's there, um, plus what they're representing as the Federation. And so it just shows um, not only how competent and amazing these officers are, but also how amazing these actors are. Because up in here, we stand Gates McFadden. Dr. Crusher, she was amazing this episode. I love her. Yeah. There's some great wrist work. Yeah, really, really impressive work when she, uh, basically it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers kind of stuff, and we think it's a real bad entity, and then it turns out it's just kind of like down to float in space and Picard's into it as well. He's got this part of him that's all about the wanderlust and thinks maybe... He would fit in among the stars. Mm -hmm. But she has this moment where she comes into the bridge and she has this sort of lost out of body experience where she's experiencing the room for the first time. And it was just so brilliantly done. Great body work. Especially when, uh, as you mentioned in the synopsis, like this is a a being that they encounter that is uh, supposedly just pure energy. So this is an example of us coming across a life form that is completely different than ours in that it's another state of being. So the actors had a real great challenge in this on how would you react if you're experiencing being in a body for the first time time and surrounded by aliens hell yeah party on yeah (laughs) 
what was crazy about it too was that we didn't even know what was happening until very late in the episode, right? Because this we we learn eventually that it's just this being that got was it pulled too close to the Enterprise and the Enterprise got too close to the cloud? What exactly happened? They just skimmed the edge. Yeah, it seemed like it got sucked up <laughs> like an exhaust. Yeah. <laughs> it got like sucked up into its circuitry or something was the explanation. Now later on, yeah, the energy cloud that they had to double back and go to. Uh, it, it was like, you picked me up. It just sort of, you know, picked me up like a hitchhiker. <laughs> I thought I was being kidnapped, basically. It says in not so many words through Picard's mouth. Right. So you got sucked onto the ship and then just became within the computer and then started zapping people, which that was at first just hurting people and then like transferring through them and then he accidentally kills um engineer singh right assistant chief engineer singh and i had actually written a note that it, we're seeing more diversity in the background cast uh there's more people of color overall there's this indian or, or south asian actor and then they kill him i was a little bit upset because I was going to give him this compliment. Uh, the deaths need to be equally diverse. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, something I thought of as well. And, you know, uh, <laughs> at least the being apologized for it and they all, you know, said it was a horrible death. That was regrettable. You know what they didn't need to apologize for was the legs on this crew because we got more scants, baby. We've got scants for days. Scants, 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 scants. Did we talk about the dress robes that they open the show with when they're waiting for the delegation of the Sile, the lizard people? Those are formal scant. Ooh, a formal scant. I am here for it. It's worn yep. with pants. Uh, it's more of a wraparound ensign, you know, the regular jacket. Um, and it's got a gold lining on the collar and, and the crossover portion. These were based on the Royal Navy uniforms of the 18th century. Uh, and they would be altered in season two as well. well yeah, they... They wear them actually, I think, every once in a while throughout the whole series. Oh, if anybody has a QR code for how I can get that outfit in Animal Crossing, ah! I'd really appreciate it. I'm sure it'll exist. <laughs> if not before, now it does. <laughs> the costumes that I was more focused on were definitely the Chuck E. Cheese level animatronics that were going on <laughs> with the canine and reptile. Oh, I wrote down a woolly, diarrhea complected, meat eating <laughs> mammal. I put wet makeup. <laughs> <laughs> They forgot that, like, powder existed. <laughs> oh, jeez. It was, like, Power Rangers-level yeah. uh, movement on the face, too. Maybe that's why they needed them to not be the A-plot. Someone who is currently, as you can attest to, wearing a Power Rangers sweatshirt. Yes, this is Power Rangers-level of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely watch a whole episode of their warfare, though, I think, because they were playing hide-and-go-seek to the death. <laughs> one point uh why didn't Riker get hurt when he was um when it was like one of those things used to clean a pool but just the edge of it like they took the net out and put a glow stick yeah. in absolutely and it was like catch you wrong species wrong species also the Soleil people the lizard people said they they wanted to be upwind of the Anticans in their um dwellings there's no upwind on a ship bro it would have been great had all the other Starfleet actors had to kind of like 
like hold their nose or made a funny smelling something bad face when Antikins got in here. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a n- nice touch for me. It's funny because though the two species, the delegates, act as sort of the foil for the audience in this one in that they have to explain Starfleet protocols and they act as a great buffer for explaining, oh, what is a replicator? I, I've seen you eat meat. What does that mean when a human character on Star Trek is eating meat? Did they kill someone? Do they have a chef on board? This is a great way for them to explain, oh no, we have things called replicators. It is is creating a facsimile of what you think is meat, but really it's using this energy and we can put it back in. So um, that, along with Wesley's explanation of the dilithium crystals, which comes from original series, and then the matter-antimatter reactions, are a way to sort of clue in those who are Trek fans into the technobabble that we're using now without having to, like have a classroom scene or something like that where they're just explaining it. I did really love how Riker also like explained what they don't do to animals anymore, which is enslave them for food purposes, which is a very utopian way of describing how they now eat meat in the future. I really liked that despite me being a meat eater. And this is like a real win for vegans everywhere because this is a prototype of what we are working on discovering now, which is Petri dish meat. And they're talking about it already existing. It's another of those future-looking discoveries that they find in the writer's room that is coming to fruition. One of the fun sort of uh, world things that they sprinkle in every once in a while is that replicated food has a taste that you can tell that it's replicated. You you sort of akin uh, to like uh, some stale pasta or microwaved or a TV dinner or whatever it is. It just goes to show that even though they have this viable alternative, they still want to flavor it like, like the problems that we have today of like, oh, well, I could eat this vegan option, but it was grown in a Petri dish and you can tell that it's not meat just because of the way that it tastes. And it's like, come on, if it's the same thing, it's achieving the same ends, just <laughs> let's go with it. Even on a molecular level, there's still a little bit of mama spice that you're missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about the conference scene where something, a ball starts rolling in Data's brain and (laughs) we just want this thing to snowball forever. I have vague recollections of Data in Sherlock Holmes costumes. So when Picard starts mentioning uh, the work of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, (laughs) which I was like, oh, 300 years in the future, would they still be referring? Or, you know, 400 years now. But of course, the same way we respect Shakespeare. Uh, (laughs) And so Data... Sherlock Holmes, a, 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 detec- a detective, a sleuth. Hmm, interesting. Let me download all those files. I'm so ready for him with the little flappy-eared hat. I can't even wait. Oh, buckle up. <gasps> it's good. It's just setting it up. You're exactly right. Of another trope episode. Much like Holodeck Go Wrong, uh, uh, Data as Sherlock Holmes, uh, potentially with either um, uh, Picard or Riker with him, or Geordi, uh as like assistants and things like that. I have to say I was ready for it to be a little obnoxious but man when he uh was asked to put the pipe down in the conference <laughs> with the captain and then he was about to make a point and he reaches for it and then it stops himself i lost you it. know that's a hundred percent brent spiner the actor those yeah. were amazing choices that he was making that just make data same with probably the magnifying glass on the fishbowl at the yeah. end as well. you know the yeah. definition of great acting is specificity everything is a choice and everything has meaning and brett spiner just 
just blows me away time and time again, especially in the scene where he is, he's already read all the books and now he's inhabiting Data the Sleuth. And it, it's just the specificity of movement with his magnifying glass and each thing is a choice to do it in a certain way now as an android deciding to do it in the way that he has just learned through this book. Not only that, but as a performer and as a gifted performer like he is, uh, it's it's great to show the difference of like, I am playing an android, but look when I shift into something else, the possibility. I could download any personality and I'm a good enough actor to pull it off. So it's just setting the potential for the character of Data to be inhabited by anything. Do we think Brett Spiner really wanted to do this and got it shoehorned in or that the writers had wanted him to do this anyway and then he's like all right let's just go for it my guess is that it was probably a throwaway line that they were just trying to reference pop culture and then maybe uh, like brent spiner was like oh but what if we went further with this and i actually like started acting like sherlock holmes or something that's just my guess but i i don't know i'm sure there was some contribution either that or they saw him in some of the other episodes like the naked now and thought we can throw anything at him and it is going to be hilarious we need to give this man an outlet could have been either one you know yeah yeah every time he clapped his mouth down on that pipe i also started laughing <laughs> yeah. and i didn't know where it came from it's something about the way he said we have noticed that none of them were in the corridor and he spins his computer around and then spins it right back and then bites on the pipe so good well it'd be buku trouble if you're wrong <laughs> so after a considerable amount of investigation time picard actually gets zapped by this thing and it inhabits his body and he pretty much takes over the whole situation right with very initial resistance from the crew but then they decide it's not really a mutiny i was trying to decide what it's called just relieving him of command i guess it was what it's called right this is exactly what i was talking about with you becca early on Mm -hmm. when um the doctor actually has the top rank on the ship and this was the perfect example of that but it's harder for her to access it yes as it should be yeah because she needs to have the the physical proof whereas Riker can say "Uh uh-uh you're incapacitated for this reason as he did when he met Picard he said I know that I need to be able to overrule you in certain scenarios if you're incapacitated if you notice he also says he needs the support of the entire senior staff so he Mm -hmm. actually has a few more hoops to go through than Crusher does Crusher can perform a scan and say I see you're unfit for duty because of this physical scan I understood that as he was choosing to because the next thing that he says is that I I haven't seen him do anything that would put us in jeopardy and and Troy believes that he will next uh, and I oh I love this this sort of um the logistics of it and they're not playing around like immediately they all pick up on it and it's important especially with this older show a lot of times there'll be a thing where it's like yeah 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 we get it we all understand because these are tropes we've all worked from and so when they're as wise to it as we are and pick up on it quickly it's always better because then you can get to the next thing to get back ahead of us not only that we saw the crew uh, confront this issue before with actual Picard and Troy says something like "Um, I, I noticed a duality in this person and he flat out says why didn't you say something and she says this sort of thing always exists it's hard to pick out what is abnormal duality versus just your regular duality and so this is her directly taking those orders and saying hey I'm sensing something funny now too I can't prove it but this is that same scenario so I'm bringing it to our attention it's good to see this crew come together it's it's not just Picard holding them that's such a great point of that 
there's this duality within us all of the time, as she points out, when you ask yourself a question, who are you talking to? I love that line. It's very 90s as well, because duality, and uh, there's also a mention of hypnosis that they go through to try and like uh, uncover the buried memories and stuff. That's very 90s as well. That was very like, or early, I guess late 80s as well, is like that was starting to become a huge trend in like uncovering your real consciousness. Yeah, hypnotherapy as as medicine, as science. One of my favorite lines came in though was Worf. Uh, I think they said like, oh, we've got to get down to the bottom of your memory block. And he goes, I don't remember having one. And I was like, yeah, bud, that's kind of the point. <laughs> Yes. We also see the range of all of the actors, not just Brent Spiner and Gates McFadden, but but we see Patrick Stewart uh, earn his title as Sir Patrick Stewart. And we also get to see a lighthearted Picard uh, and sort of getting this information that we might not necessarily have to take this so seriously because at the end of the day, there's, there's like this greater plan or we're all trying to figure everything out. So I think that at the end of it, after he's depossessed, sort of, we do see a change in the character. And I think it's a welcome change. What change? do we see up until now he's been so militant and so closed off he saw his crew come together and we see this sort of lightheartedness towards the end uh, and i feel i've heard that patrick stewart was like that on set as well yeah he was very much there to work and and the crew the, the rest of the cast would kind of goof off and i think this shows that he acknowledges their talent they're acknowledging him and they're working together yeah he was very stern in the top of this episode as i recall right you mean when his character lets it go because he says with the antikins of the sea lead thing nah you deal with it i'm over it peace (laughs) (laughs) that's something that the picard of two episodes ago wouldn't have done he knows that murders of ambassadors has just occurred aboard his ship that he's supposed to be escorting them to a diplomatic council right a place literally called Parliament. <laughs> we don't know that whatever reptilian meat that's being prepared was uh, was Sile. Could be. It could be anything. They literally said one of them is missing, mm. right? Didn't they? Like, they hit it over <laughs> the head. Literally and figuratively. Uh, you mean like hitting it over the head with a stick, with a glow stick on it? Yeah, yes. yeah. Or making sure that when you come through that you make a pee for Picard on the console so that you know <laughs> who's coming through. <laughs> That was such an interesting way. They're like, they had to figure out how to end this episode with like three pages left of where they had written themselves into, right? Like, even Jordy's like, so this is a huge cloud. Where do we go? And Riker's like, just fucking go somewhere. I'll figure it out. <laughs> he'll come to us, right? He can swim, <laughs> right? He'll come closer. Yeah, he'll float near us. We we pick up drifters all the time. Yeah. They go to the transport bay and they're like, okay, I hope this is it. <laughs> and as they hit the button, the transport is taking so long. It's shimmering in like this narrow shape. And you're like, oh, maybe it's going to be something else. Maybe it's going to be a star creature. Wait. What's the time code? Okay, never mind. There's Picard. <laughs> that might have been too easy. Yeah, it, it's not the missing reptilian ambassador, unfortunately. Oh, man. This is the third um, sort of explanation I think that we're getting uh, for this like magic technology in that we're explaining what the pattern buffer is. How the transporters work is that it sort of demoleculizes you, puts you through the pattern buffer, and then transports you somewhere else where it's received or put on top of a planet and sort of reassembled. So this is bringing in 
and the the transporter existential question of if you demolecularize someone and they remolecularize them somewhere else, is it really still the same person, even though that's where the consciousness is? In this case, Picard had beamed out, and so there was still a physical sort of pattern left in this pattern buffer of his body, and so the sort of consciousness or this essence that it was only energy that was beamed out uh, would be brought back in. So in this new way that they're depicting beaming, they you see in a traditional beam animation, you've got like the sparkles for the body, and then there's a little bit of a, a holdover for this inner sort of light that you see, and that's sort of that energy representation. So this beaming back in of just energy merging with the physical uh, like remembrance of like hitting, it's like hitting paste, where you're like, oh, I think the last thing I copied was Picard's body, you know? Well, it's loading the last save file, isn't it? A hundred percent. So then it's like, okay, the Picard that comes back, is that the real Picard? Or are there two Picards that's now just an energy force out there? No, they replicated the memory of him. I don't know where you fall on this, but like, I think I'm pretty sure every time you go in a transporter, you die. Like Barkley was right. Or like, <laughs> there's a couple of skeptics about transporting on the show. Um, and you die, right? And then another clone of you forms of molecules down on the planet's surface or wherever you're transporting. It's something that gets explored later, but this is sort of the first dip into that of like, what is beaming really? And when you're on the <sighs> transporter pad, what happens? And why don't we have that yet? And what do we need to do to make that technology possible? That's got to be a book in the 24th century. Yeah, and do they like just incinerate the, the flesh sacks that <laughs> uh, you know were left behind before they replicate a new one? Because how much... What do you need? What is beaming, really, mm. is a poster you would see somewhere on, like, a Berkeley campus in 2460 or whatever. Oh, absolutely. It's also a great narrative tool of the transporter being sort of a catch-all of you can beam out of stressful situations or uh, if this body does get killed in space, maybe we can reload something. There's a sort of magic do-over button that's sort of built into the ship now. Speaking of magic do-over, remember in episode... Three, Code of Honor, our favorite episode, of course. Not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Remember how um, Crusher, Dr. Crusher, was able to bring someone back to life. And then when Worf finds Assistant Chief Engineer Singh, he doesn't call the med bay. He calls to the captain and says he's dead. But if we have the technology to bring a warm body back to life, maybe we should have tried that. Just saying. From the time Singh, like what happened to him, to the time that Worf checked his heartbeat, <laughs> he's his heart had only stopped for about twelve seconds, which yeah. we still resuscitate people long after that right now. So yeah, they give up on him pretty quick. I guess Worf just always had a thing against that guy. <laughs> This is also another trope that will show up and that we were kind of referencing earlier in that Worf is just kind of bad at everything. You know, I do want to do a segment one of these days about Worf's job performance. I think we'll wait until he becomes chief security officer because he uh, generally doesn't get the job done. And I really would like to revisit that. So we'll bookmark that for now. Well, since we're on this topic of Worf uh, just not being great at his job, and the very beginning of the episode before he's the first one that gets the shock of blue energy he's with Jordy and he's like oh yeah boss is making me brush up on my skills because I'm a junior officer I didn't realize he wasn't a full officer he's like Westerly level of regard yeah and I think this is the journey that we get to see because the initial uh, impulse is to not make a show about the whole senior staff the impulse is to get a glimpse of life at various stages of command 
that was wrong. And they wanted everybody to be involved in all of the episodes, so they wanted to sort of rank up everybody to make those that are interesting or the characters that we are invested in higher up on the ship. And so there's sort of this journey that we get to go on. Uh, and I think the uh, reference that Worf is talking about is directly about uh, acting Ensign uh, Wesley Crusher type of thing of like, oh, he wants the younger officers to study because he has scheduled time to study, so I must do this as well. It's a very Worf way of taking things. We have to learn, learn, learn. Yep, absolutely. And it's a good lesson in writing uh, that you want your main characters to be roughly the same status, which is something I learned in a, an improv class where we're doing this specific format called The Pretty Flower. We have to keep coming back to the same place. And um, and it just makes sense if your first established characters are all uh, working at a shoe store and they're all employees at the shoe store or whatever. If they're all the same level, then it's not deferring to one person to answer all the questions. That's it. That's exactly it. Because if the captain didn't have these scenes where where he's in the conference with all of his chief officers and he just always knows what to do and how to act, then then you don't get that interplay of the relationships between them. But uh, I would say, though, don't, don't other shows do that? And I can think of a sci-fi comparison, which is Battlestar Galactica does kind of span the levels of people throughout that society, right? It's harder. It is harder, and it's, it's not what they needed to do, and they recognized that. I think what they were trying to find what the voice was here. Is it that we want to see glimpses of these families? Do we want to see glimpses of these officers? Do we want to see the kids? Do we want to see just the captain and the first officer like original series? And I think that they tried out some different things and sort of found this happy medium of we set up tropes of episodes like a holodeck episode, but it's not always the same formula. That makes sense. And I guess with something like uh, Battlestar, they're spanning a lot of different stories and those characters don't interact a lot, whereas these people are all on the same ship and they want them to have that interaction. So that makes a lot more sense. And to have opinions matter from the characters because what Worf says over what Yar says, it's a totally different dynamic and there's no discussion there. It's only who has the power. Hmm. Well, speaking of power. What power do you have, Jake? There was one hell of a lightning storm on that bridge and I was very impressed by that. That was like a psychedelic concert. <laughs> this episode was great. I liked this overall. I think this is one of my favorite ones that we've watched so far. I agree. I, I feel like this is, the, again, them finding their footing of, of like where to take these stories. And they get really invested in the characters. And we see the, the beginnings of so many amazing things that are to come for these characters. With each step we take forward, we get closer and closer to an A and B plot instead of just that A plot, as I said <laughs> from the beginning. And we're getting there. And Data is... You know, oh, impresses me every time. Same. Favorite character in every episode. Yeah, and the makeup will get less and less wet. <laughs> <laughs> and he definitely gets more uniform in the way he acts as well. There's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of the Spiner smirk in a lot of these early episodes, but I remember him straightening out later on. There's a lot of discovery for these characters because Jordy's trying to be the wisecracking thing, and and he ends up as more of like the dad joke type of thing. But nobody's really found it quite yet. Well, speaking of finding things, I definitely found adulthood with this next episode. <laughs> this next episode is Justice. When Wesley Crusher is condemned to die on an idyllic primitive planet, Captain Picard must face breaking the prime directive to save the boy's life. <laughs> Do you remember this episode, Xander? Vaguely. Okay. I know that they needed to establish Wesley as important enough for the captain to go save before we got there. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so they've done a pretty good job so far. Well, I'm excited to watch it. And uh, I hope you're excited, too. If you guys enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. And if you want to talk about it, our link to our Discord is in the show notes, along with our social media on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to support us, uh, visit our Patreon and throw us a few bucks. Thank you so much for reaching out, uh, both on Twitter or leaving an iTunes review, even just to talk Trek, because that's what we're here for. In a nice way. Civil. Yeah. Like a conference room. Like a conference room. <laughs> well, we appreciate all of you being engaged. engaged. Oh, I guess engaged.